Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, we interview inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. I hope you're having an absolutely wonderful day. I'm doing pretty well myself. Thank you very much. If you heard last week's episode, you would know about the nightmare weekend I had with my digestive system. Things are a lot better now. Thank you very much. I attended an appointment with one of my surgeons last week, just a couple of days ago, and that went really well. Apart from that slight hiccup, he is very happy with how I'm progressing. And it will be four years since my surgery now, so one more year and I am technically in remission, so that's pretty good. But if I've learned anything from this experience, it is that I do need to be a lot more mindful around my eating, how I eat and what I choose to eat and being intentional about the way I eat. And this is a lesson I probably should have learned a long time ago. It's taking a while to sink in, but you know, I'll get there. I think I'll get there. But yeah, if you heard our last week's episode, it was Joe and myself speaking for most of the episode with some questions from some of our favorite guests. And I really enjoyed making that episode. I think it came out really well. And I'd like to do a lot more like that in the future. Maybe not a lot more. We've actually got a whole lot of interviews in our backlog so we've got enough to take us through till early mid next year I think but we would like to make more episodes in that type of format including an episode that I would like to do on adjustments. There's been a lot of talk around adjustments recently particularly a story or a couple of stories coming out of the New York Times. There was a video with the teacher Johnny Kest I believe his name is there were some adjustments there that perhaps were not appropriate, especially after the consent issue was raised. And in our Facebook group, there were a lot of comments on that. So I think in the future, we would definitely like to do an episode on adjustments. And I would like to get a whole range of opinions for this episode. So what we would like is if you're listening out there, if you've got any comments or opinions on adjustments, if you are either for or against hands-on assists, we would like to hear from you. We want to get a full range of opinions. I don't think there's one right answer here, but we really want to get a full picture of what everyone is thinking about hands-on assists. So if you have got an opinion, you can contact us, email us at podcast at flowartist.com or you can get in touch at the Flow Artist Podcast community on Facebook. So yeah, drop us a line. All right. So today's episode, I've been talking a lot, but today's episode is a recorded conversation between myself co-host Joe Stewart and Lee Blaschke. Yes, this is another episode in collaboration with Yoga Australia and Lee Blaschke was one of the co-founders of Yoga Australia back when it was known as the Yoga Teachers Association and is a former president of Yoga Australia itself. And we are a good friend of Lee's. We've had him on the podcast before and this episode was recorded on retreat at Hepburn Springs. We had to squeeze it in between a, a couple of workshops we were doing. Lee was hosting the retreat, so it was great to catch up with him and a great conversation. I think that is all I have to say for now. I'll speak to you again soon. Here's our conversation with Lee Blaschke. 
All right, we're live. Well, Lee, thanks so much for taking time out of this retreat here in Hepburn Springs. What's the name? The Continental House. Yes, um, thank you for taking some time to speak with us today. Um, perhaps you'd like to just give yourself a little bit of an introduction. Thank, thanks, Ryan and Joe. Yes, well, my name's Lee Blashkin. I've been uh, involved in yoga since 1968. I started at meditation practice and uh, started taking what we would normally call a yoga class in 1971 and did some teacher training in the late 70s and started teaching then and enjoyed the yogic lifestyle for a little over 50 years now. I was quite involved in developing Australia's first nationally accredited yoga teacher training program and yoga therapy training program. was a founding member of Yoga Australia, membership number five, was on one of the early committees helping to establish the standards and then later on came back on to the executive as vice president and then president and had a long involvement with the International Association of Yoga Therapists on their standards committee, accreditation committee, certification committee and now on um, their ethics review committee and uh, as one of their advisors and still enjoy being a, an advisor to Yoga Australia because I'm a big believer in the association. It's a very impressive resume and delivered at a very impressive pace. Would you like to take us back to the formation of Yoga Australia? Yes, yes. In the beginning, there was not even the word. Um, <laughs> so prior to the formation of Yoga Australia, the only peer supports that there were for yoga teachers were the particular lineage-based associations, the, the alumni of the training programs. And they were, and still are, good associations, but they were only for the teachers who have trained in that lineage. And at about the time when I was developing the accredited yoga teacher training program, it's accredited through what was then called the State Training Board of Victoria, now it's Skills Australia, there was discussions uh, around mm, what does this all mean? And, and at that time I had undertaken a, a graduate study, a graduate diploma in complementary therapies at Victoria University, and, and one of those one of the requirements was to do a small research project. So I did a survey of yoga teachers throughout the east coast of Australia about what they thought about their training and the standards and would they be interested in upskilling if they thought there was a higher standard to be met. And the results were astounding. I was surprised that 65% of the 140-something respondents would be prepared to upskill their training and over 50% of them thought their training was inadequate to the, really, to the skills and needs of yoga teachers, which I was absolutely astounded about. So that gave me a lot of enthusiasm and encouragement to really get on with this, developing this training program. And when it became announced, there was a, a few reluctions, I'd have to say, through the yoga community saying, what does this mean for us? You know, this research has come out saying... We think we should look at a higher standard. Now this, this guy's developing this new course. What's going to happen to us? So I went and did some talks to different places and said, look, this is good. This is raising the standard for all of us. It doesn't mean anyone else's training is a problem. It just we're, we're taking a slightly different approach and trying to put it through the vocational training protocols that apply in Australia. So I gave some talks. Sometimes they weren't always the happiest occasions. There was, you know, not quite tomato throwing, but there was recriminations that I'm... The yoga uh, equivalent. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that, 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 you know, how, how dare I try and challenge someone's existing skills and, and, and make it harder to become a yoga teacher. And I tried to explain that wasn't the case. I'm trying to bring people with me and, and not stand above anybody. And people who know me know that's the way I've worked my whole life and still do. But it was sorted out and a lot of people got what I was doing and, and, and really defended the case and, and worked with me. It was the Gita school that really said, look, you know, we should form an association because they didn't have a... They have, have an alumni, but they felt they were not really as, as part of the, the general yoga community because they take a slightly different approach to their teaching. And, and I was involved in that really quickly. So, you know, we need to do this. What do you think? I said, look, this is the best thing you could possibly do. We need an association that brings everybody together. You know, how about a little unity in yoga? <laughs> and so the association was formed. I can still picture the 
the, the first meeting that was in a studio in South Yarra, and um, we all signed on. It was who could, who could rush to the stage to sign up on first, really, and Helen, I think Helen Staley was the first one to, <laughs> to, to as the first member, and I got there fifth, but uh, that's, it was a lot of fun. And we, so we established uh, the association and started getting committees going to do various things, and it became clear from the outset that standards really is going to be the main thrust of this because... If people were feeling a little insecure because there's now a training out there teaching a 1,000 hours over a two-year course, and most courses were between two and 500 hours, it was clear that we needed to say, look, in an independence body that accepts everybody needs to set a standard. At that time, we were having a look at what was happening in Yoga Alliance, and I was moderately friendly with a guy called Gyandev, Rich McCord, who was on their standards committee and, and board at the time and has been on their board on and off. And uh, we communicated and he shared with me a whole lot of information that they had. And we looked at their, their levels and we thought, mm, we want to go higher than them. And we think what they were doing is, their, their categorising was okay, but their, their level was just not right. So we originally set a 320-hour standard for level one yoga teachers uh, with a 500 level two and a 1,000-hour level three. We didn't push those last two initially. We wanted to get the, the first one done. And there was four of us on that committee. We used to sit in my house and uh, my flat and talk about these things and I'm not quite sure how long it was after it was within a year or two we went to 350 from the 320 we thought it was a slightly better figure we really wanted to stand aside and make a case worldwide that this we think is the minimum minimum standard we're not saying this is the optimum standard for yoga teachers the minimum entry level standard and people rose to that and a lot of schools got involved and thought this is good and because a lot of teachers, a lot of training programs in Australia were actually delivering to that level. It's the ones in overseas were delivering to a lower level. So it was well accepted. So quite quickly, we got a lot of schools on board that became registered and a lot of people joined quite quickly. It didn't take long to get to, you know, the sort of close to 1,000 members in the first two or three years of the association. I've got a quick question, Lee. Was there much debate about how much time was allocated to each aspect of the training, as in anatomy, yeah. philosophy? Yes, yes. We, we, the standards actually didn't just say you have to cover these things. We actually put down the guidelines, and those guidelines are still standing uh, to this date, So, which is a good thing, which means they're pro probably working. We did tweak him a little bit more in terms of trying to highlight a little bit more about the idea of some form of practicum or, or you know, you've got to just not know that, you not just have the knowledge, you've got to be able to apply it. And so that's become a little bit more part of the requirements now, which is great and I'm pleased to see that. And I imagine today as well, like trauma-informed practice and even accessible and inclusive yes. practice is a newly emerging force in the yes. yoga world. Yeah. And that definitely wasn't something that was spoken about when I did my training no. about 15 years ago. Absolutely. Do you see the allocation of the hours evolving in the future or it would more be an add-on that individual courses could focus on yeah, those areas that, That's more. a really good question. That's one I've contemplated. I've discussed it with folks in the United States in relation to yoga therapy. And you know, this, is, I guess, is jumping to a, a later question you're going to ask about what I see for the future. But that's OK. We can segue to that now, which is I am of a strong belief that it is time to review our standards. I've not discussed it with Sharma or Leanne or anyone at the moment. I, I just, this is a it's, it's a... it's a quiet bubble. I think a few people need to think about this, and I think it would be wrong for it to just be Lee saying and he's pushing the case. I think a few people need to think about it and hopefully this will prompt them to. It's not a matter to say make it hard or this, that and the other, but just they've been there for a long period of time. You, you naturally review things. I mean, in the International Association of Yoga Therapists, standards are reviewed every few years. They've just had, in fact, they've had two reviews since the standards were published in 2012. So I think it's important that we, we do review, and I think the review should include a little bit more about how we learn to communicate to a broader range of 
student bases, including this. My core belief is that all yoga teacher training should be trauma sensitive and we should be including that for everybody. But that's up to the individual schools. We can't dictate that. We can encourage. But I don't know that I'd go as far as to say that we build a competency in saying you must teach 20 hours on how to make your classes trauma-informed. But I think we need to look at how we might get this embedded somehow, and I do have some ideas, and I suspect I might be, if it does come ahead, I may be asked to sit on a committee and in that regard. That's also been a criticism of, like, trauma-informed is not a box to tick and something that you no. can cover in 20 hours. No. It would be more an evolving conversation. Precisely. And it's a matter of how you teach. It's a matter of practice. It's a matter of it's ongoing professional development. And I would like to see approved professional development courses in that direction. I think it would be great. Of course, there are programs out there doing this. Obviously, you know, there's the Vessel you know, Bandikov-type stream of, of trauma-informed yoga. And, of course, there's Zyrest and other meditation approaches which are highly trauma-informed. So that it's happening out there. But I think it would be nice if this became a, a solid base to what we do. And it would... I just think it would be a really seismic shift and a real milestone for the yoga community to, to do this. And I think a lot of people will take it on board and, and, and feel good about it because we're not talking about major changes to what they're doing. It's simply a, a, a matter of language. As you heard me in the meditation just a short while ago about you know the teacher makes clear that they can see the doors and, and, and people know that the teacher is, is keeping the room safe. I mean, these sorts of they're simple little things. Yes, I would love to see it. And, and more than just a, a, an occasional workshop, it's, it's got to be it's the foundation, if you like, that's it's, it's part of the bhavana of, of what we should be doing as yoga teachers. We always understand that we are dealing with sensitive people. And our, our dear colleague and one of the other Yoga Australia Council of Advisors, Janet Lowndes, has often said in her presentations, when you go into your yoga class, you can be assured that 40 to 50% of the people have undergone some form of trauma in their life and, and possibly quite recently. And at the heart of it, it's really just good teaching, creating a space ah. within your class that people feel safe and people feel welcome. Yeah, and that gets to another point, which I think I'd love to see the way we go in yoga, that it's not just now about teaching a technique and this vinyasa or, or this particular group of postures or whatever, that we're really building a, a sense of relationship because ultimately that's what yoga teaching is. It's relationship with our students, helping them to have a better relationship with themselves, with other people in their life. A lot of people are probably aware that TKV Jessica Chow, one of his great sayings was, pared everything down, yoga is about relationship. And so I think that if we can help encourage yoga teachers to see beyond learning the name of the anatomy and physiology structures, learning the name of the postures and learning how to teach them and demonstrate them and all those things, irrespective of the style, whether it be you know, strong linear-based styles like uh, Iyengar where it's very much about alignment and other things, whether it's about the flow and energy like Stanga Vinyasa, whether it's the slow releasing of the yin, whatever form, the relationship is still important and that the teacher spends more time cultivating relationship with the student, which then allows them to develop resonance with the student, which means they get a better feeling of what their students needs. So even in a class that might be protocol-based, um, you know, like some of the hot yogas, there's a protocol you follow, that they're getting a better feel for their students because they've developed resonance through relationship. So I would say the relationship-building skills is probably the competency, if you like, that, that I think could be added to our standards and that trauma sensitivity becomes a sense subset of that. And so if there's a teacher out there listening to this and just thinking... Oh, I really feel like I'm lacking that, that ability to tune in to what's happening on a subtle level within my class. Mm. What would your suggestions be to be able to hone that instrument? 
I think if teachers are reflecting on this, they'll probably feel that they probably are doing it more than they imagine they are. I think most teachers, particularly experienced teachers, and this is the difference between an experienced teacher and a new teacher generally, it's not necessarily the range of practices or, the, yes, they're a little more confident and they can develop their classes more quickly. They don't need to know more postures. They can develop that resonance and that relationship more, more effectively. So I think a lot of teachers, particularly the senior teachers and the level two teachers, certainly the yoga therapists, will have already had those skills developed to some extent, but whether they put it to the fore, because quite often you're taught in a way that says, in our tradition or the way you're taught at this school, you, these are the things you do or are encouraged to do, but sometimes we don't stop and think, at the beginning of the class, let's come to relationship. And, of course, the ultimate relationship is the one with ourself first. So to answer your question more directly, what could somebody do, even if they feel they are developing resonance, and that's what I try and do all the time, is I come to the sense of myself, who am I as a being, what is the, the, the essence of my true nature, bring that to the fore, feel comfortable in that, and then when I open up to the students' or clients' needs, that I come from that place, and therefore I'm more able to relate to that place in them. So, you know, if we think about that beautiful word of namaste, I honour the place in you where the entire universe resides, a place of peace, of truth, of love and light, where when you are in that place in you and I'm in that place in me, then we are one. And so I think that's what it's about, that we take the time as teachers to prepare ourselves to come into that place in ourselves, to meet our students in that place in them. Yeah, beautiful. And I feel like... It can be as simple as giving yourself time. Like it was such a light bulb moment for me just getting to class 15 minutes early mm-hmm. instead of aiming to be there yep, yep. right on time, just like yep. have that time to rest mm. and to settle and just have a little stillness and a little yeah. space before everyone arrives so that you're not overlaying what everyone else is bringing in with your own hurried journey yeah. or whatever you were working on right before you stepped on your mash. Yes, absolutely right. And that's, that's, that's the sign of a good teacher. And, and to weave this back into, into Yoga Australia, ultimately we're celebrating Yoga Australia's 20 years, which is just, it's just fantastic. You know? <laughs> it's me emotional. Yeah. <laughs> the baby's growing You've up. You've created something amazing. <laughs> is that one of the ways that we're actually doing this, and thank you to Lynn Romeo and her team particularly for taking the initiative that a few of us put forward uh, years ago, both myself and Michael Domenico were very keen in early days to get mentoring into Yoga Australia and it's come to fruition. So this mentoring program that Yoga Australia has got, the first yoga association in the world that we know of, and I've put that out there internationally, no one else has questioned it, has now got this really highly refined and structured mentoring program for teachers, no matter what level of teacher. I have mentors. I've got two or three mentors and you know, I've been teaching for 45 years nearly. So this is part of the relationship. So that Yoga Australia already now is taking the lead in facilitating this developing of relationship because if we have a relationship with a mentor, we're learning those skills of relationship because mentoring is about relationship. A good mentor will be coming to that place in them and meeting that place in in their mentee uh, and working on whatever the issue is they're like working through. And I believe that mentoring is not just about I've got a problem, I go to my mentor. This is something we do because, you know, we clean our teeth because we know it's good for us. We have mentoring because as a teacher, you know, a clinician in in health, mental health has a supervisor um, because we know this keeps us on track, helps us to develop those really refined, important skills that are not just about technique and relationship, of course, is at the forefront of all of those. 
And so I, I encourage everybody to consider taking on a mentor, developing a mentoring relationship. And you know, mentors will charge a fee, some will charge less a fee, some don't charge any fee, it's up to them. But it is a great investment of time and energy to have a mentoring relationship because this is, I think, the next level and it is the ultimate professional development for yoga teachers. Hey folks, it's Joe here. Uh, just popping in to tell you about my latest mini obsession. People who've been to my classes know that I really love to work on balance and stability and interoception and proprioception and also self-massage. And I have a vast collection of different props to help me do this. I've just discovered one that's really new and really beautiful. It actually won an Australian Good Design Award. The creator, Carla Mullins, is an upcoming guest on the podcast and we're going to be having a workshop with her at our studio as well. Her creation is called the Makalu. So it's got a beautiful wooden base. All of the materials are sustainable and it's like little Russian dolls of a lotus seed shaped element, a lotus pod shaped element and a lotus flower shaped element that all can fit together or connect in different ways. So you can use it for all of these different balance and stability and massage moves. And it also looks very lovely just sitting on the shelf at the studio, which of course is not the priority, but a nice little bonus. So we're really excited about the Markaloo and about supporting Australian design and also ways to make these movement practices more accessible to everyone. So we're actually going to be affiliates for the Markaloo. You can use the code MACFLOW, capital M A K. F-L-O-W to get 5% off or you can just check it out at makaloo.com we'll leave a link in our show notes at podcast.flowartists.com if you want to find out more and we'll be talking more about this and sharing more about it and I want to make little videos but I just thought I'd pop in and tell you about it now you know before Christmas for that yogi in your life who wants a little extra new thing to play with and to maybe bring into their practice thanks guys bye It's a great response as well because I think there are some voices that say yoga is not about ticking boxes and filling out forms and so I think some people chafe a little bit about the professional development requirements but mentoring has always been at the heart of yoga, sitting at the feet of your teacher Absolutely. and it's not something that's quantifiable, it's yeah. just something that's enriching. Yeah, it has always been there and that mentoring is... Uh, and that could be a formally with a mentor. And of course, Yoga Australia is registering mentors based on you know, their, their senior status and what they've done in the past and their mentoring experience, etc. which is good because it's not just anybody's mentoring you. But even sitting in Sangha with other groups of, of like-minded teachers and sharing things, that is supportive. And, and you know, one has to be a little careful not to be led by somebody who maps misunderstands things or whatever, but you know, I think most yoga teachers are, are pretty savvy. But coming together and supporting in groups is, is very important. And Yoga Australia has been doing this from day one with our state events coming together. I think it's a really important thing to do. People love those events. And oftentimes when you read the, the reports and the, and the feedback from these things, yes, they enjoyed the teacher, 
but they love the coming together as a sangha. That's the big thing. And so you've already touched on a couple of really important directions that Yoga Australia has taken. Just thinking back now, have there been any pivotal moments that you've been a part of or you've heard about that you feel like has really changed the direction of yeah. Yoga Australia as an organisation? Yeah, one that comes to mind is when we changed our name from Yoga Teachers Association of Australia to Yoga Australia. It's an idea I had, as you previously discussed with Swami Shantananda, apparently, that we represented Yoga Australia, or sorry, Yoga Teachers Association of Australia in Sydney with a meeting with the folks from Fitness Australia. And I liked the structure of what they did as an, organ- an organisation. Not what they were trying to do to yoga. That was, a, <laughs> that was another thing. We had so that. were they just trying to just include yoga well, in the yeah, there was Yeah, there, there was a whole range of other things. But what I liked was the fact that how they were regarded by the broader community. And the name struck me as Fitness Australia. It just says it all. Whereas Yoga Teachers Association, it says this is just for teachers and it's a bit scary for others. Because with Fitness Australia, everybody was coming. Not just, it wasn't called Fitness Professionals Australia. Anybody interested in, in fitness was going to Fitness Australia. I thought, well, that's what you, we should do. So I suggested this to the president at the time was Stephen Penman. And he said, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So I think it was 2007, if I recall correctly, that it changed the name to Yoga Australia. So that was a pivotal moment because it really broadened our scope of what we could do as a peak body for the field, not just the profession. Big pivotal moment. The next pivotal moment, I think, was, without a doubt, appointing Sharmila as the CEO. <laughs> Michael Demanencourt mentioned that as his proudest moment. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, Michael's the one who actually did it formally. He, he and I worked together on that and, and I was his vice president at the time. We just thought it was the absolute perfect direction for us to have a proper CEO. In fact, he was called general manager at that time. And yeah, we did everything by the, the way you'd expect in a big organisation. We had performance reviews. We did all those things. And Sharma just took it on, ran with it, started employing the staff. There was you know, a couple of part-time staff. And look at it now, how many staff we have. And it's just grown... And, and, I mean, she has just been an absolute stalwart and, and there's no gratitude ever could be enough for the role Sharma has played. So that's, you know, that's probably the biggest. Yoga Australia after the YTAA was probably the second biggest. And the third biggest, I think, is de-shackling ourselves last year from being an incorporated association which is sort of state-based and... You know, certain requirements of committees that are a bit onerous and, and you really can't do quite as much whereas a limited com- company limited by guarantee at, at a corporate level you can do so much more yes there's some requirements for ASIC you have to do various things but we've come out of the big pond into the sorry out of the little pond and we're going into the big pond now and, and that's great I think it just creates more spaciousness for the organisation to grow in the directions it can grow and continue to be the world leader that it has been and to enjoy the reputation that it does overseas. You know, I do a lot of communication with professionals right around the world, as you know, and states, there's nothing but, but good comments about Yoga Australia. People in the UK are starting to say the same things. The people in Japan are now getting a wind of it and they're saying nice things. So we have a great reputation. I think we need to continue it. We can't rest on our laurels. We need to keep growing. At the same time, we need to let it grow gradually, slowly. There's always going to be the hiccups. There's always financial demands, which are challenging. But I think... What needs to happen is we need to encourage every every yoga teacher in Australia to be a member in one form or another. If you were to ask me what was my greatest regret where things are with Yoga Australia, it is that we don't have a vast majority of the yoga teachers as members. I don't know the exact number, Sharma will probably clarify with you, but it's my understanding is between 20 or 5 and 30% of yoga teachers in Australia are actually registered with Yoga Australia. And to me, that's almost a travesty. Now, we know a lot of that is because they're not meeting our standards. 
but there are still a lot of teachers meeting our standards that aren't joining. We should have all of those on board. So I guess we need to find ways where we can really communicate what the benefits are more fully. I know Michael was, you're saying, was, was alluding to a lot of the benefits. I think the benefits are vast, but the, the benefits grow when the membership grows because they bring in their comments, their needs, their energy, and an organisation that is broadly representative can achieve so much more because it's listening to so many more people. We can't help somebody if they're not part of the family and we don't know what they want. So I think I'd love to encourage more people to be members. And, of course, I'd love to see more programs upskill to, to meet our standards. But even those that aren't, join us as provisional members. Take, take a year or so to, to get some the rest of your um, hours up and your mentoring. It's so worth it. It's a small cost. Even just the publications and, and, and be able to go to state events for your charge, that is far and away a benefit. But beyond that, it's about self-determination. In this country, we're saying a lot about self-determination for different groups, and rightly so, and too late, for, <laughs> you know, in my opinion, of course, for our, our Indigenous communities. But if we're really serious about self-determination, how about it for our field? Get on board as yoga teachers. Get behind Yoga Australia. This is our representative association. It is Within time, it will be recognised as a peak body uh, in Australia, which basically means when someone comes to the government and says, what's happening in yoga? Don't ask us, go to Yoga Australia. It's exactly how they work with Fitness Australia and they have a lot of responsibility and a lot of credibility. And so I know I'm selling it hard, but I just think yoga teachers should be getting behind Yoga Australia, be self-determined, and rather than saying, what are they doing for us or why should I join and they're not doing anything for me, come on board and be part of the action. Well, I think something that a lot of yoga teachers don't realise as well is that if you're part of a bigger organisation, it's not just you on your own. If something not good has happened in your yeah. workplace or you're not sure if yeah. the way that you'll be paid is legal or there's just any confusion about payment or conditions of work, yeah. it's really hard to stand up against that as an individual or even know what your rights are. But yes. that is something that Yoga Australia can help with. Absolutely. And even the, the, the unpleasant stuff Yoga Australia deals with, I'm not sure what's been happening in terms of grievances in the last few years, but when I was president, we had two or three grievance procedures that were enacted. We had a student that was sexually intimidated and abused and, and complained to us, and we took that right through. We followed our policy to the T, and it worked its way right through to a conclusion. Now, these are important things that Yoga Australia is doing. Now, that's a very uncommon thing to occur. So we're hearing more and more about it, so Precisely. it's really important. Precisely. Yeah, and, and the work we did in, in getting the specialised insurance, that took years to get that sorted out. I don't think most people appreciate how much work and energy went into that. We've got our own specialised insurance. This is great work that the association's been doing. I just can't sing its praises enough. And I think in the next 20 years, I would like to see more of the, uh, the younger teachers getting really involved. People like myself, I've stepped back into the third stage of life in the Vedic tradition of Anaplasta, where we, we, we don't sort of actively teach as much and we do more mentoring and, and, and coaching and, and, and those sorts of things. But... I'd like to see the next generation come forward. The likes of you, Joe and Ryan particularly, who you know have got skills and interests and, and believe in it. Because you know we old timers, we, we've got to start stepping back and making room. And I'm encouraged by seeing at state level a lot of the younger people coming forward. I think it's fantastic when I look at what's happening in Yoga Australia and I don't recognise half the names anymore. That to me is a wonderful thing because it means they're new generation coming through, and that that uh, augurs well for the association in the future. 
And so to build on that, what has been your greatest joy with your involvement with Yoga Australia or your proudest moments? I guess there's many. Of course, you know, the highlights I mentioned before, you know, particularly with, with Sham, being able to work alongside Sham, to be able to sit in committees and knowing sometimes it's hard work, sometimes you don't always agree on, on a matter, but we just we have the best interests at heart. And we came together doing something meaningful with great purpose and to know that what we've done is, is going to stand the test of time and everybody I've met to go to workshops, the conferences have been such joy. Sure, they've been tough work. They more often lose money than make it. And, but those sorts of things are absolutely delightful. And to be able to just sit here now and, and chat with you guys, is this is part of the joy of having a real community, a real sangha. And I don't know that it would really be there at all if Yoga Australia wasn't existing. So in a way, it's, a, it's the joy that keeps on giving. Beautiful. And the flip side of that is what has been the biggest challenges... Yeah, I guess the biggest challenge is really to get people on board, that it's just too easy for people to say, you know what, I don't know, you know, yeah, it's too much work to think about, I've got to fill out a form, or, you know, why should I, you know, it's another $100 a year, or it's, 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 to me it's a challenge for people to really understand this is your field, it's your profession, this is the people you want to teach and therefore serve are going to be served well by a strong association. So we're not just here to support the teachers, we're here to support the students of those teachers, to grow the field. And we can only grow the field if we have more and more people involved so we can get out there and really work the, 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 the broader publicity, get out and talk to major people, um, get out to talk to the healthcare communities about how we can help. Two days ago we had the Global Yoga Therapy Day that Anne-Marie Johnson has so wisely and dedicatedly put together. We were at the Olivia Newton-John Cancer Wellness and Research Centre in Austin Hospital talking to doctors, oncologists, cancer nurses, OTs, physios there about how yoga really assists people in these situations and, and, and how we can work with them and how we are here as a field, as a professional body to support them. So this is the sort of stuff that a strong association can help us do that an individual can't really do by themselves. So we need people on board to open more and more doors. Yeah, that's really exciting. It is. That is already sounding like a great future direction. Are there any other shining lights or future directions that you really see Yoga Australia heading towards or yep. something that you personally would like to see more of? The mentoring, I think, you know, is only just started, so there's a bit of time and energy in that, and I think we really need to push that and to really build it. When I, mean, I say push, I mean to really encourage it to grow. I think the review of the standards is important. That's probably more internal. As long as people outside see you've got current standards, but we can publicise we've reviewed our standards and improved them. That's a good thing. But the pie in the sky, and I've not discussed with this with anybody, it's just a dream thing. It's a seed I'm throwing out into the wind and see if it lands. And because this, this is a financial component of this. I think there's a possibility that Yoga Australia could get involved with some form of publication work, whether it be online publication, print publication, those sorts of things. I remember some of the you know, the great organisations that come to mind that are just the bastions of, of quality publication in our field. I mean, Shambhala, of course, comes to mind, who hasn't got Shambhala books in their shelf, and um, handspring publications. I mean, some of these key leading publishers, now, OK, they're hard copy mostly, but there's the online component. And you look at the work that big organisations online are doing, like Yoga International, you know, they've got, a, they've got a, well over 100,000 subscribers listening to remarkable work. I mean, Yoga You Online, there's some beautiful, it sounds true. There's 
some beautiful platforms. There's easy, even this one, it's a slightly smaller one, but it's a great one. It's called Flow Artist Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, this is the future. I mean, just could you imagine you guys being perhaps you know, weaving something in that, be, that becomes an arm of Yoga Australia's work, that you know, they, they outsource something to you guys as an arm for their publication? Because then... It means Yoga Australia really has become what it has the potential to do, which is to be able to fully educate people, provide the resources for the students and the teachers, and really help yoga become a true foundation in our society, the way we hope that it can become. So that's my dream, that it's some form of publication, um, and it could take many, many forms. It would start very small. You know, we have our own internal publications, we know, and that's great, but something that goes beyond that, you know, because... You know, you know, if Sean was sitting in this room, she'd be hitting me and saying, oh, my God, Lee, I've got enough to do. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so it's, it's a specialised thing. There's, there's resources will be needed. There'll be specialised people. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a pie in the sky. It's a dream. But I would love to see that you know, within five years that has been well considered, thought through and, and maybe even started. Yeah, fantastic. I love that idea because I think a lot of people's first criticism of how yoga is presented online today is how superficial it is and how surface it is and how much it is about aesthetics. And so this is an amazing chance to really be the change that you want to see in the yoga world and really put something of substance and of philosophy and something that's going to be helpful for students and teachers and to really celebrate the breadth of what yoga really is. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for quoting Gunnerji. <laughs> maybe we should begin to wind things up i'm not sure if we asked you this last time around but if you could distill everything that you've learned during your life and everything that you teach down to one core essence what do you think that one thing would be namaste <laughs> <laughs> and you have a beautiful translation of that single word would you like to share that with everyone now yes. I honour the place in you where the entire universe resides, a place of peace, of truth, of love and light, where when you are in that place in you and I am in that place in me, we are in the same place and we are one. Namaste. Namaste. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Lee Blaschke. Lee is a great friend of the podcast. He's given us a lot of support in the last couple of years. So thank you very much, Lee. It's always a great pleasure speaking with Lee. Our next episode, we are catching up with Ella Noah Bancroft. Ella is a yoga teacher, an entrepreneur, an indigenous rights activist, a feminist, and she is just an all-round powerhouse. So we are so happy that we got the chance to speak with her. That episode will come out in one week's time, so look out for that next Monday. Our theme song is Baby Robots by Ghost Soul and is used with permission. Get us music from ghostsoul.bandcamp.com. Joe and I would like to thank the elders of these wisdom traditions of yoga and mindfulness that have been passed down to us through thousands of years. And we would also like to honour the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Thank you so, so much for listening. We are so honoured to have you listen to us. Aroha nui. Big, big love. <laughs>